0: It's May 24th, 2010, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of the show. Before I begin our interview, I want to share that the Candid Frame now has an iPhone app. So if you are using an iPhone or iPad, you can now download and listen to episodes of the show directly on those devices. As well as the shows that are regularly available on the feed, I'll be producing periodic content specifically for the app, as well as a quarterly PDF. The purchase of this app helps to offset the cost of the show. To help create awareness of this new app, I will be offering a free version of the app each day for the next five days, beginning on Tuesday. To do this, you'll need to be on Twitter, and all you need to do is simply retweet my promotion of the app that I post that day. A winner will be chosen randomly, and will receive a code to receive a copy of the app for free. My Twitter account is twitter.com forward slash and X. A link to this can be found on the blog page. Another new thing which you might already have noticed is a new logo design for the show. I like the new look, and I hope you do as well. Today's guest is Diego James Robles, a photojournalist who is beginning his photographic career. Diego first discovered photography while serving in Kosovo during his stint in the U.S. Army. This eventually led him to study at Ohio University's School of Visual Communication, where he's recently graduated. He's currently on staff at the Denver Post. As much as I enjoy having the opportunity to speak with seasoned veterans of the photographic world, I also enjoy speaking to people just launching their careers. I think it provides a great perspective on the different paths we can take, which allow us to make photography an important part of our lives. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Diego James Robles. Well, Diego, welcome to The Candid Frame. Um, it's, It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Let's let's start with your beginnings. I thought it was very interesting that you you started as a photographer photographer relatively late. Um, you were in the military and you were stationed in Kosovo. How did that happen? How why did you pick up a camera? And why did you and what did you start documenting with it once you had it?
1: Well, originally I uh, enlisted in the army right after high school, and um, I wasn't planning on uh, being a photographer anything like that I was uh, in the infantry and um a friend of mine who uh, was also in the infantry with me he had a uh, he had a uh, a Pentax camera a fully manual Pentax camera I don't even know I don't even think it had a meter or a a, a, a battery operated meter and um I started playing with it and after about 5 minutes I was just completely amazed by all the mechanisms, the shutter, the prism was uh, really uh, amazing to me. And um, after that, I bought a camera on eBay, and um, I started shooting everything. Um, at first, it was really uh, at first I started uh, just shooting objects. I was scared of shooting people, and uh, I was shooting signs, or shooting shoes, any kind of uh, uh, patterns I could find. And then as I uh, progressed, I eventually started shooting more of my, uh, my uh, people in my platoon, people in my squad, people who lived with me in sea hut And uh, one, during a one uh, particular lightning storm, a friend of mine a couple of days before told me that if you use a tripod, you could do a longer exposure. And I, at the time, I didn't really understand what it meant, but he showed me how to do it. And uh, during a lightning storm, or a severe lightning storm, um, I put my tripod, I woke up at 2 a.m., I put in my tripod, I set a 20-second exposure, and I got this amazing uh, lightning shot, which is still in my portfolio, actually. And uh, that picture kind of went all around Europe and was in a lot of Army publications. And that's kind of how I got started.
0: So you started submitting your, your images to the publications? How- what were some of the things you were you were submitting? Were you just submitting individual images, or had you started the process of trying to tell stories with your camera?
1: At first, at first, I was just uh, sh- um, shooting my guys and uh, giving everybody pictures who was in my immediate company. And um, eventually, people really uh, people started passing them throughout the base, and uh, I kind of became known as a camera guy and public affairs, which is the uh, it's, uh, the, it's the side of the military, the Army, that um, deals with, uh, they write about soldiers, they take pictures of the soldiers, and they kind of uh, uh, saw my pictures and they liked them, and, they, and so they started uh, asking me to do stuff for them, little assignments here and there. But it was really, um, for actually several years, it was actually just a secondary thing. It was something that I loved to do, but it was all secondary um, to my primary job. I was a saw gunner. Um, and so it for a long, for quite a while it was just um something I did on the side
0: and what 's a sawgunner
1: A sawgunner is a uh it 's a type of machine gun um about maybe twice the size of an m sixteen maybe four times heavier and so uh if any when we ran into combat, I was in charge of uh laying down a fire so that the uh, riflemen the soldiers that have the m sixteens could uh, pick off people. And, um, that's, well, as was my primary job. I always carried a camera, but, uh, I always had my camera kind of tucked away and I would just shoot whenever, you know, I had an opportunity, but my primary job was, uh, to operate this, uh, one of the saw guns in my squad.
0: Did you find that the camera provided you a way of sort of releasing the stress of being over there and, and, and sometimes being in combat?
1: Uh, yeah, you know, the saw, sog- uh, excuse me, the, uh, the camera was a real, um, it was real cathargic in the sense that um uh, I kind of uh I could re- I could really experiment, I could have fun. I mean I worked really hard when I was behind the camera but um it was kind of an outlet, a kind of uh a uh escape and um when I when I was growing up I was uh, I always liked to draw a lot and I I kind of abandoned that as I got older and I kinda of wish I'd hadn't but the camera really kinda of, um brought back some of those memories, the, the idea that you're creating something or that, you know, later that you're documenting something. So it was, uh, I'm a very, I'm a very small man, so the saw gun was pretty, uh, pretty uh, hefty for me, but the camera, um, the camera was, uh, was an escape.
0: When did you start thinking about making photography a, a career? Were you still in the military? Had you left already? What was, what was that progression?
1: I was still in the military, and, uh, I realized that, uh, my mom's a retired lawyer, and, uh, she wanted me to go into law, and I thought that's what I was going to do after the Army, but, um, I realized that I was getting better and better, and people really responded to my photographs, and that, uh, um, I was always thinking about photos, even when I was walking around, I was just, I would see shapes, and I would see people, and I always thought that, uh, that things were interesting and I always wanted, I also had my camera with me. Um, so kind of uh, while I was still in Kosovo, I thought maybe um, I'll try to go to community college and see, uh, see how, what happens. And so my goal was to when I came back to the U S to enlist, uh, excuse me, enroll in uh community college, take a couple of classes and uh, see where it went.
0: And when you were, when you were in college, what were you learning is that where we were learning the idea of doing photo essays of telling stories with your camera is that where you first had the experience of of actually producing that kind of project
1: yeah it was uh in college that i really um that i really became a photographer i i think when i was in the army as a soldier who took photographs and uh when i i went to Ohio university when i got there it was uh, really uh, it was night and day. I'd gone at that point. I'd gone to community college for about a semester or two, and I was um, I was shooting all the time. But uh, the people in my classes uh, weren't as motivated. weren't as uh, to them, it was a hobby. When I got to OU, it was uh, completely different. Um, everybody was better than me, and everybody was committed to to shooting. Everybody lived for photographs. Um, and that's kind of where I really uh, learned to be a photographer. Everything, Most of the things that I know I learned um, at OU.
0: And o, OU is Ohio University for those of you that's who correct. don't know. Um, that, there's something to be said about the whole idea of being surrounded by other people who are as passionate about something as you are, in this case, photography. Um, you learn a lot in the classroom, but I suspect that you... You probably learned a lot outside of the classroom from the other people who, you know, who had been there, you know, for a little longer, even from some of the people that came in during the same time that you did.
1: Yeah, uh, w- uh, without a fact, I mean, the the school of visual communication there at the university uh, has some of the best talent in the nation, and uh, I did learn a lot from the graduate students, and I learned a lot from the uh, juniors and seniors, but. In reality, when I first got there, I suspect I probably got in because I was a veteran, but uh, in reality, when I got there, everybody was better than me, even the freshmen. And, um, although I learned a lot in class from, you know, culture winners like uh, Marcy Wonder and uh, my academic advisor, Stan Alos, but um, the people, just hanging out with people and seeing how they were so committed to photography um, and the upperclassmen were really doing, big, winning big awards, and I would always look at their resumes to see what kind of things they were doing, and I always look at their pictures. And um, I, I remember, I mean, even to the day with the day that I left, I remember always being blown away by the caliber of people there, and um, that that pushes you, that inspires you. Um, I think it's difficult to really push yourself in a vacuum but when you know going to school there I was always surrounded by people who were just as driven as me and who had, who have a lot more talent and and I think that if I, if I hadn't gone there or hadn't gone to maybe a good uh, photo school I don't know if I would have um, I don't know if I would be the photographer I am today
0: do you think it was a sense of competition that really pushed you to to try and get better was that a big part of it
1: yeah because people would always try to do outdo themselves in class, and uh the competition was just ridiculous and um you never wanted um you never wanted to be the kid who um the professor who's the professor didn't say anything about your photographs you never wanted to be the one where you show a photograph and, and the room is quiet and you hear crickets um so you were always trying to go out there and make pictures in. Ohio University is, is in a very rural uh, part of uh, Appalachia and uh, Southeast Ohio. And so making photographs um, sometimes was tough because uh, the little the little communities were saturated with really talented photographers. Everything had been done three, four, maybe ten times. And, uh, you know, it's not like New York where there's always a different person to show us a different story. So it it was challenging, and uh, when you you know when you get to a bigger city, um, it almost seems easy.
0: So how did you find those things that were different? Particularly when you're at a, at a, you know at a program where there are a bunch of talented photographers, and they, you know, it's a school that's been there for quite a while. So a lot of people are familiar with the fact that, you know, you guys are out there hunting for stories. Or so how do you, how do you find something unique? Maybe not necessarily so unique that no one's ever heard about it, but how do you find a way of doing it that sort of is a completely different take than what might have been done before?
1: I was, I was, um, I always drove a lot. I, I tried. I never, maybe once or twice, I made a photo story or, or made pictures in Athens, I or Athens County, which is where the university is in. Um, I always drove as much as I could to get as far away. As I could, just because I didn't want um, I didn't want to have a story where it's been done uh, ten other times. And I also tried, um, even when I was a freshman into this, I always try to do something different. I try to go after things that um, nobody was uh, going after, or even if they were, I, I always thought I could do it better. And so I, the, I think the key is that I try to get out. Of, I try to go as far away as I could. You know, driving 45 minutes to an hour. And, or sometimes actually even a lot more in search of, uh, uh, in search to find something. And I mean, I will always read the local papers and then somehow from the ideas that I got try to adapt them to maybe a further away community.
0: Did you find that being Latino and/or being a veteran provided you some insight into stories that otherwise might not have been covered?
1: Um, I think being a veteran for sure, um, 'cause I did do some things in Ohio with soldiers. Um, I think that was if you're a veteran, even though at some point you don't you know, you don't have short hair anymore, I have long hair and I have a beard, um, but um I know I know Joes. I know how they act. I know how they talk. Um, I know what they're into. <laughs> um, you know, the US soldiers, um uh there's some characteristics that are almost universal. Um and I don't think it is like that when you go in, but it's certainly Uh, the the military has a way of changing you, but being Hispanic in Southeast Ohio was not, I wouldn't say challenging, but uh, in that region of Ohio, there weren't a lot of us there. Um, I remember when I first got there, um, I was really surprised at just not seeing any Hispanics at all. Um, I I, I suspected there wouldn't be as many as in Los Angeles, but so that was kind of tough. I once tried to do a story on... um, on people, immigrants uh, um, of his, uh, Hispanic immigrants that uh, worked in the, in the fields, but it was always very tough. I was uh, I only find one or two, and um, so it, it was certainly not the most diverse part of the country. That's for sure. Hmm.
0: Tell me about one of the essays that you have on your website. Um, it's called "Field of Drinks." Tell tell the viewers who may not have had a chance to go to the site yet what the story was about, how it came about, and why Why it was of interest to you?
1: Um, the, originally, that wasn't a story. I just recently, recently converted it into a... I made it into a story. It was... Um, Ohio University is... Uh, it's a very interesting place, and uh, there's a lot of festivals in the region, and fortunately, a lot of them have to deal, deal with uh, alcohol. And uh, so I had an assignment for... Um, I worked for one of the local papers, and uh, I went there uh, to this thing called Six Fest, which was the sixth installment of a outdoor festival. And uh, the night before, it rained, so the fields were really muddy. And uh, I went there; I got there super early, and uh, I photographed, um, you know, kids uh, from the university, actually from all across Ohio, and some, and even surrounding states um in the mud uh drinking um fighting uh peeing just uh i documented everything i saw um i i really tried to i i've seen pictures from this event before and i always felt that the pictures that i seen were um were always kind of distant were always kind of the same type of pictures um uh, same type of keg stand pictures. And even though I have a keg stand picture in that essay, um, I felt, I, I felt mine is different. And so I basically, I got in the mud with them. I, you know, made up my mind that this is probably going to cost me, uh, a lot more than the assignments paying me. Cause I know that my cameras, uh, would be trash and that was the case. And so I stay there the whole day until at the end of the night when the cops cleared everybody out and I was in the mud and, uh, you know, I try I didn't think about it as a story, I just tried to get the best frames I could. Um I think a couple months later as people really liked some really liked some of the um the singles from that that um that take. And uh so a couple friends of mine suggested that maybe I turn it into a story, see if I can if I had enough. Um and I'm kinda Leery of uh, stories that happened or essays that are just one day, but I felt I had the variety um to make it into uh, an essay, and I did
0: that's interesting that you didn't go in there thinking of it as an essay, but that because the coverage that you that you produced from that day that you were able to edit through those images enough to give a sense of of the diversity of of responses to you know the drinking the partying all that stuff cuz i would not have thought that um that you hadn't it as an as an essay how important is that whole idea of of coverage when you're shooting anything um play in terms of you shooting an assignment or shooting something for your own, for yourself
1: i think that's really important and uh going back to that essay um I didn't think I'd turn it into, I didn't think it'd come out like an essay, but um, in fact, I think that's more of a photo story. But uh, when I go into the place, I always try to, um, I always try to shoot it as a story, even though I know that it's usually not going to end up that way. And so I try at the, you know, at OU they they taught us, um, get variety, shoot it like a story. Get get wide-angle shots. Get uh, um, get uh, close-ups. Um, kind of uh, use creative devices. And uh, if you go into every assignment uh, thinking that way, um, you're going to get some variety. And sometimes, if the assignment is good enough, or if you work hard enough, um, something you can put that together in a story. So, going into something and just thinking, not thinking in the way that I'm just going to get one picture. That's printable for the paper. Just going in there, thinking maybe I can turn this into something bigger. I think that's kind of a, a good uh, way to go into an assignment.
0: When you look at the work that you produce from this, how does it compare to the work that's been published on this particular event? Because it's it's loaded in a variety of different ways. I mean, you're dealing with you know of course college kids college kids partying partying, but you're also dealing dealing with. You know conflicts with law enforcement. You're dealing with you know alcohol abuse, binge drinking. Um, in terms of what you felt you got and how you feel it's been portrayed in other media, what do you feel that you got from from your photographs that was missing or or lacking from some of the other coverage?
1: Um, well, a lot of a lot of uh, the photographs that came out of there were very good. A lot of friends of mine shot it. Um, I would say that I was probably there the longest. Um, I was I got there before anybody that I recognized, and I left after it was pitch dark, and and uh, I left basically when I when the car stopped rolling by the field. I was I was at that point making pictures um, with um, from the uh, the the headlights. Um, so I think I just stayed there a, a long time, and I think I worked it, and I thought I I thought it had potential. Um, I mean. I want to say that this party was epic, but um, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure this spring it'll be even worse and even more out of control. Um, but I think, I think how my coverage was different. It was just that I stayed there longer and I wasn't afraid to get dirty. I think that's um, that's key. If you're not afraid to get dirty, you're not afraid to trash your gear. Um, you're not afraid of rejection. Not afraid of people throwing beers at you because you know they're intoxicated. We're um, slipping in the mud, or being in the middle of a mud fight, um, and I think that that that's probably one of the ways my um, coverage was a little different.
0: Yeah, because the intimacy, the immediacy of the images are a direct result of you making that kind of choice. You know, you could have other people might have shot it with a 70 so they could keep sure. their equipment clean, but you no, know, you're you're right up in there.
1: Yeah, it was a bunch of short class and. Uh, you just gotta you just gotta be inside when my uh, roommate picked me up he was complaining that I got mud all over his car and that I stunk because I, I guess the field had been uh, fertilized not too uh, long before that but I, I think in the end it was worth it
0: a complete 180 from that is what you uh, have titled elders of the plains where you follow um, some Mormon um, missionaries tell us about how this story came about and why you chose it
1: well this story uh like you mentioned is about uh mormon missionaries and it was actually one of the easiest stories i've ever had um i found these two the story is about three uh missionaries primarily two at first and i found them right outside um the photo building at ohio university and uh i just happened to be walking um uh, coming out of a class, and I saw them on their bikes, and I, st- I always wanted to do something about uh, religion, and these days, I'm actually working on quite a uh, a bit of things about that, but, uh, I, you know, I talked to them, and uh, I told them, you know, what I was all about, I, I gave it to them straight, and um, I talked to their uh, mission president, and I, I, you know, I told them, hey, I'm not interested, in, I'm, I'm interested in telling these guys stories, I'm not I'm just going to show what is. If they're nice guys, they're going to come out as nice guys, if they're not, then they're not. And, uh, you know, I told them I wanted to do it for a, uh, for a magazine and, um, excuse me, for the newspaper. And, um, uh, and, you know, they let me follow them for, uh, for, I followed them for a couple months, I think. And, uh, I went with them to church. I went with, them to, when they were going door to door, um, I think we had a lot in common in the sense that they were used to rejection. I perhaps wasn't as comfortable with rejection, but I think that's rejections a very important part of being a photojournalist. Um, and I, I learned, I mean, these guys always kept their cool when people would yell at them, chase them off the, the doorsteps. And, uh, and I think I really came to like them you know, as people. And, um, and they were great. They were very open and they... Uh, They gave me a lot of their time.
0: That must have been kind of awkward to, you know, here they are knocking at doors, you know, wanting to, um, wanting to talk to people about their religion, and then there's this photographer with a bunch of camera equipment right behind them. So how did you sort of negotiate that, or did you even have to be too concerned with it?
1: Actually, that was a big concern, because as a, you know, as a journalist, I never want to interfere. I, I, I'm not religious myself, but I understand that the job that they are doing is very important to them. Um, they're in the business of saving people, and um, they take that very seriously, and I, and I took it very seriously as well. And the way I got around that was I would never shoot door-to-door um, right behind them. I always try to go to the side. Um, and shoot me from a long class. And I was always very conscious because at this point you're in, on people's private property and they didn't want me to, taking their picture. I would never use that, that picture because I am on their property. Um, I went right behind them when uh, I knew that they were knocking on somebody who they actually knew, not necessarily who they were friends with, but somebody who they had contact been in contact with. So I try to go very carefully around it because um, I think in the end... Uh, I I think I always get more out of these things than than the people who I cover.
0: And it's interesting that you say that you spent months with these guys. Sometimes people who are unfamiliar with what's involved in doing a photo story or photo essay think that, well, it's maybe just a couple hours or maybe just a couple of days. Why the investment of months rather than something much briefer?
1: Well, I think that the the main reason is because uh, there's, an abundance of things to see and witness. And if you just do it in a couple hours or in a day, or maybe in a couple weeks, you might not see all of it. I, I saw one, uh, one of the missionaries, um, his name was Elder Merrow. I saw him leave, and uh, Elder Barker replace him because um, they rotate from time to time. And, uh, you know, as a young photographer, it's also good to stay in it, you know, over time because I, I think one of the, also the keys to that is that over time you build trust and you build intimacy. And what would seem awkward and difficult to photograph at first, um, after months, becomes easy, and um, they trust you. So you can, they trust your judgment, so you can make more intimate photographs. You can, you can get closer. You can take more risks. Um, also, um, you know, at the time, it seems like such a long time ago, but I was, you know, it's, uh, it's still, I mean, even today I'm very inexperienced, but uh, if you're doing this over the long run, if you mess up a shot, and if you're doing it a long, st- a long-term story, um, that might that shot might appear again. So, and next time you're prepared. So it is. There are so many advantages to doing these things uh, long-term. But you know, in the end, I didn't get published. In the end, I didn't get published, and a newspaper got published somewhere else. And um, I stuck with it because now I stuck with it, even though after I knew it wasn't going to be published in a newspaper, because uh, I was having a fun time and I was liking the photographs. And I really came to like these guys. I still keep in contact with them. And uh, um, long the long term format is is something wonderful that you know I, I I recommend.
0: Well, that choice to keep on shooting, even though you knew it wasn't going to be be published, is an interesting one because, you know, as with anything, there's a limited amount of time that you have, um, you know, to live your life, to produce work. Well, And it can be kind of difficult to continue working on something, particularly if you know that it may not really get anywhere in terms of publishing, but mostly it sounds like you were doing it because it just satisfied you personally, both because you like these guys, but also it sort of satisfied something creatively for you.
1: Yeah, it was uh, professionally, um, it was very, very rewarding. And um, I mean, I always knew that it could be published maybe somewhere else. And luckily for me, it, it did but uh, I think if it's worth doing it's worth doing regardless if it gets published um, I think getting it published is important because um, the people whose time you're you're using get something out of it and I think that's that's important um, I wanted to tell these guys, I wanted to tell these two guys a story and I and I did that and um, although I'm not a Mormon myself I felt that the work they're doing is important and um, I think people who read you know people who ended up reading uh the article um and saw the pictures really um you know a lot some people told me that they if they'd ever knock on their door they would give these guys a chance because they seem like nice guys and so you know i did it cuz cause, cause i liked it and it was a lot of fun but uh, but I, I i had i had uh, I was optimistic that it would eventually get uh, get published somewhere
0: in terms of you know, ideas for stories. I know you, you're currently on staff at the Denver Post, but how much of the stories that you go out and pursue are self-assigned, and how many of them are are passed on to you by your editor? And I know you've only been at the paper for for a few weeks. For for people who are unfamiliar with how newspapers work today, how what's the the balance between the two?
1: Well. Um, as you mentioned, I have not been here at the Denver Post for too long, um, so I can only speak about my personal experience. I know that uh, um, my boss here at the paper, uh, Tim Resmussen, said the first day I got here, he said, ideas are gold, and so if you have ideas, um, you're going to go far. But from my personal experiences before I got to this newspaper uh, was that most of the work, most of the work that I like, most of the work that people respond to, is probably 95% um self-assigned um stories that I um got myself um I probably shoot more I probably shoot a lot of features I probably I shoot a lot of um stories that are features um I'm trying to do something different here at the paper maybe go for a little more um of a news angle but I I think that's critical. I think that nobody is going to give you... It's hard to get a good assignment that's going to turn into a a long-term story. It happens. Um, But I think that it's up to you to come up with that story, Uh, especially if you're working for small newspapers. A lot of them don't do uh, photo stories. And um, like I said, most of them are self-assigned. I just read the paper every day. I read as many newspapers, local papers as I can. I try. I read national magazines. I try to read. Um, I, I try to read um, USA Today, and then maybe uh, localize national stories. And um, I'm always looking for something that I think um, will be worth my time because I think time is the thing that you have uh, the least amount of, and um, I don't think you can afford to waste it on a story that's not going to produce the type of pictures that that you need to you need to make. So you you definitely need to be passionate about the stories that you're interested, in, but it, it has to come from within. It, at least in my experiences, you have to um, look and look and read a lot, and um, you know think about is this going to be worth my time?
0: It's it's a real challenging time for newspapers now, uh, especially economically, and with you know with advertising revenue going down, with the consolidation of of you know different. Media newspapers television being con- consolidated into one organization it can be um, a real dawning time for that business but as a photographer, how do you feel that that is sort of impacting your 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 short term and your long term career goals as a as a photojournalist?
1: I don't know about the long term effects that's uh, a little more difficult to see um you know short term short term I was um i'm kind of in an interesting situation that up until very recently i had no idea what was going to happen you know as of a couple of weeks ago i got a staff job so the future is more secure i know where i'm going to be for a couple of years and uh but when i was freelancing um i was freelancing in a place where um there wasn't a lot of news value um and um, it was tough because a lot of papers are closing um a great paper here in Denver closed not too long ago, and um the budgets aren't what they used to be. the day rates are awful um people want orientation want more rights, and they give you less um compensation and um, so it's definitely tough for the freelancer out there, and even for uh some staffers i m- I might assume with uh with unpaid furloughs with uh cuts in uh in pay. And so I think that um in the short term I I think you have to um be business savvy. I think you have to be passionate above everything. I think you have to have a will to survive meaning that you understand it's going to get hard and you understand you might have to give up a lot of things that you used to do, but I I think that if you're in it for the long term, long run, um I think I think you can survive and uh, I think when this economy turns around, I think, he, I think a lot of people who put in the time and the effort and who are still, who are enterprising and who are still uh, working hard, I, I think they're going to, when the economy turns around, I think they're going to thrive.
0: Beyond just making the joy of making photographs and then working with a camera, what is it about what you do that really excites you most?
1: I think the thing that excites me the most is uh, meeting people. Um, when you're photographing, uh, sometimes when I'm taking pictures, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I remember the first time I really felt this way. I was uh, interning in a newspaper in Bolivia, and uh, I was at a, at a Independence Day rally. And, um, a couple of horses broke loose. People were unruly. The police couldn't control anybody. It was just pandemonium. In the middle of this is, uh, the president of Bolivia and security is all around him. And it's just a chaotic scene. And I remember they're chasing after this horse and after all these people. And I remember laughing, just going up and down and just laughing. And I could not believe that I was going I was getting paid to do this, that I was getting paid to run around with these people. And, uh other stories, time that I spent uh travelling with a circus, um time that I spent with uh uh with Amish people in Pennsylvania and uh it's just uh it's amazing the people you meet, the things that you experience and uh it's almost like being in a little mini movie.
0: You know, it's funny that you started taking pictures of, like you said of shoes and inanimate objects because you were pretty shy it seems in terms of approaching people but now it seems like you've completely gone to the other end and and that's really kind of where you thrive and where your strength lies strength lies as a as a photographer do you think that the camera really allowed you to sort of come into your own in that respect
1: um i i I would say so um the camera it's just about it's all about experience um when you first start off, you're you know you're really shy, and you're taking pictures of shoes and inanimate objects, and you say, you know what, I'm not going to be a people photographer. I'm going to be a street photographer. And then you see start you see, you start to notice that the pictures that you care most about, the pictures you admire most, are the pe- pictures with people. Um, I think people are inherently interesting. Um, um, I once uh, saw uh, Sam Abel speak, and uh, and he would always. Uh, he said that when he was taking uh, pictures, he would sometimes go by an interesting, interesting alley or an interesting street, and he'd wait there and wait there for good light, and he'd wait there for people. And he just said that uh, Ibrahim saying that people are inherently interesting, and in backgrounds are not. And so, if you find an interesting background and you just have anybody walk through it, it'll it'll probably be good. So, I think that if you keep doing this enough. I think the eventually you fall in love with the people and, uh, everything, everything that I see interests me. And, uh, especially when I'm what, doing a story or on an assignment and it's just, uh, to them, it's, you know, mundane what they do. But to me, it's just, uh, especially if it's visually interesting. It's just, to me, it just blows my mind away.
0: You talked earlier when you were talking about the missionaries about that. You guys shared, um, a shared experience of rejection and that's that's a big obstacle for many people in terms of approaching people to photograph and particularly in your case because you're talking about hanging around for more than just a couple of photographs you're talking about hanging around with them for weeks if not months how do you deal with the with the rejection and and yeah. How do you deal with the, the rejection or the fear of rejection when you have something that you feel like, God, I would really love to to photograph this?
1: I think that, um, I think it also comes down to experience. I think when you first start, it's really, really difficult and you just have to, I feel very fortunate that, um, that I went to school for photography because I remember, um, I remember talking to, um, my mentor at OU, uh, Marcy Nicewonder. And, um, uh, she would, and she's a tough lady herself. I don't think she thought much of me when uh, when we first met, but uh, she would she gave me a lot of rejection. She didn't like my portfolio. She didn't like my photos, um, and she always told me about it. And you know, I'm very thankful. Uh, I'm very thankful today. I was very thankful then, but I think that that rejection, which was much worse than I ever experienced. Um, in the real world really prepared me and over the years i mean i haven't been shooting that long but over the years you just get used to it and uh and uh you almost wear it like a badge of honor when you get rejected because you know um i always try to learn from other photographers i always try to talk to photographers and listen to what they say and um a good friend of mine uh he's uh he just graduated from rt oscar Dudan. He told me that when he was uh, he recently did a project in uh, in Juarez, Mexico. He told me that he would go door to door and uh, talk to people and ask them if he can go into get into go into their lives and photograph them. And I was blown away by this. First of all, this is a dangerous place, and second of all, I mean, this talk about the ultimate cold cold call. Um, the missionaries were in tandem. They was I mean, they're like Jedi's. They was they was traveling and. In pairs, and um, here Oscar went door to door by himself and asked them if he could spend, you know, quality time with them. And uh, most of them, not surprisingly, said no. And uh, it's just something that you have to do if you're committed to the craft. Um, you're going to sacrifice a much, and sometimes it's your dignity, and sometimes people make fun of you, uh, sometimes they yell at you. Um, I've been people have threatened me people have chased me but it's something that over time you know you get better with I don't think I'm there yet Um, I don't think but eventually I'm hoping that one day rejections are going to feel no is probably going to feel better than yes I hope
0: well the last question I always ask is I ask a photographer to recommend another photographer who they've long admired or recently discovered so who would that be for you and why
1: Well, there's a very cool cat named uh, Peter Hoffman. He's uh, an exquisite uh, portraiture artist. Um, He dabbles a little bit in editorial photography, um, but I think he has a unique style, and he's great at capturing emotion and character, somebody who um, I've gotten to know and admire very much. And Portraiture is something that I've fallen in love with. I'm not great at it, um, but it's something that... I think it's very difficult. Um, I think it's uh, I think really good photographers um, take good portrait uh, portraits. And um, Peter Hoffman, I believe his uh, his website is peterhoffmanphoto.com, and he's somebody who I recommend um, if you want to improve uh, your portraiture and just to connect better with people.
0: Well, thank you, Diego. It was a real joy to have a chance to finally talk to you.
1: Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure.
0: Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. And thanks to all of you who have provided generous donations to the show via PayPal. If you have any comments or suggestions, email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also join our community of photographers on Twitter, Facebook, and Flickr. Links to each can be found on the blog page. Till next time, this is Ivarian X. Pirello, and this is The Candid Frame.